Glad you're here today. We're in Daniel chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. A peek into the unseen world. A peek into the unseen world. If you would, stand for reading of God's Word. We honor God by standing when we read His Word. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of Euphaz. His body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone, and I saw the great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of the words, and while I heard the sound of the words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. This is the word of God. Please be seated. As you know, that the theme of Daniel is God is sovereign. God is sovereign over nations, God is sovereign over rulers, and God is sovereign over you. <laughs> that means he rules, he's in charge. Nothing is, nothing is beyond his control. Last week we talked about the 70-week prophecy describing Israel's future. 490 years were given to the nation of Israel, 70 weeks. These are weak years. 70 times 7 is 490 years has been declared for your for your for your city, for your people in your holy city. So that's the 70 weeks prophecy, and it was very detailed and very involved, and I'll give you just a brief overview of this right now. The 490 years were given specifically for the nation of Israel to complete six things, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and anoint the most holy. That's verse 24. Messiah had to be accepted by the Jewish people to accomplish all of that. They rejected their Messiah, therefore this wasn't accomplished. We know that there is a specific time frame when this prophecy would start. And that we see in, in verse 25, from the going forth of, of the command to rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah and the Gid, Messiah the Prince would come. There would be 173,880 days, according to Sir Robert Anderson, right on the day, 483 years. Now, I want you to think about something. The time stopped at the 483-year point, and we had an overhead last week of this, just to kind of explain it, the timeline. So there's seven weeks. This was the 49 years to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, plus 62 weeks, which was 434 years. The total would be 483 years, and then time would stop for the Jewish people. Why? Because Messiah was cut off. The church age encompasses this 2,000 year or so span of time, where God has poured out his spirit upon all people. It's the age of grace. 
But this, this time will end, and it will end with the rapture of the church. Then there's going to be a seven-year tribulation period. And if you remember, Jesus described this period as the worst possible time in human history. Nothing will compare with it. All the Holocaust, all the people that were killed under the communist regimes, all the tragedies in the world are nothing compared to the seven-year tribulation where Antichrist will come. Now, we will be raptured. This is not what the rapture will look like. Okay, little people floating up nice and easy, you know, oh, by earth. That is not what's going to happen. But what I think may happen, when you're in church, a lot of churches, and you look around and you go, whoa, everybody's gone. Just a few left. I think it's going to be a startling moment. And we know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is the rapture chapter, we read these words. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Remember, mystery is mysterion, something not revealed in the Old Testament, but is revealed for today. We shall not all sleep, or we shall not all die, but we shall be changed. And watch this. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, that is how fast this thing is going to happen. Poof! Somebody measured this time. Remember, we did a revelation study about eight, ten years ago or so. And we learned that a twinkling of an eye was one six billionth of a second. It's the time for light to go from, from the outside where you see something registered on the back of your brain and it becomes sight. It's instant, instant, instant. That's how fast we're going to be in heaven, folks. That's how fast. It's not going to be some little floaty thing up there. No, it's going to be quick, fast. So the church age is gone and God will refocus on the on the nation of Israel, and those last seven years, like I said, are just going to be awful. Now, the question is this. Why does this 173,880 days, 483 years, or 400, why is all, are all these numbers so significant to me today? Why, what is the big deal about this? Well, it's for the following reason. The 70 weeks prophecy is important to you because God means what he says. If he says he's going to do something in a certain way, he will do it. And he's proven it by the past history, as we have seen in, the, in that statue of Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, that all of those occurred just like the Bible said they would occur. And they were written about those nations before those nations came into existence. It was, pre, it was prophecy. It was predicted before they came into existence. God means what he says. He means what he says. And guess what? God is not through with the nation of Israel. He will be through with the church when we're taken out of here, but then he'll refocus his attention on the nation of Israel. That'll be the seven-year tribulation period. At the end of the tribulation period, they'll recognize their national sin of rejecting Messiah, and they will plead for him to return. But it will take that seven-year awfulness before their eyes are finally opened. So God is precise. There's a defined beginning and a defined end. Remember, there's a defined beginning for that prophecy to start in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. That was 445 B.C. in my talk last week. I, I described that to you. That started that whole 483 years. And we know that when Messiah was cut off, that time was stopped. God is very, very precise. There's a beginning point and there's an end point. And folks, you can extrapolate from that. There's a beginning point to your life. And there is an end to your life, a proscribed period of time that God has given for you to exist on this earth, to come to know him as Savior, to live your life for him. And when he's done, 
there will be an exit for you. Now, if you're a Christian, that's like hip, hip, hooray. If you're kind of marginal, you're going, oh, I don't know if I want to go yet. I remember when I, we used to teach the youth group years ago, Chris and I, and the kids would, and I'd talk about the rapture, I'd talk about people you know, going to heaven, and they would come up with this, I want to go to prom. I want to go to this place. I want to go to that place. Folks, heaven is going to be the biggest prom ever. It's, there's nothing that's going to compare with it. Nothing going to compare with it. God is precise. The future for Israel has been laid out in the 70 weeks prophecy. It's very clear. And folks, we are rushing headlong into that time. We know that there will be a 10-nation confederation of nations. We spoke about this before. The world will be separated into 10, 10 nations. We know that the Antichrist will usurp power over those nations. We know that the rapture is near and the tribulation is near and the second coming is near. And what are we to do while we were here? What are the ten virgins? Five of them were ready, five weren't. They had to watch and be ready. Watch and be ready. Watch and be ready. Those are our marching orders. Now this week, we're going to get a peek into the unseen world. What is happening around us with governments and nations rising and nations falling? Who's behind all of this? We're going to find out a little bit more about that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word, and thank you that you've given us this word that is truth. And, Lord, we just want to focus on the things that you have for us today. May we, just for a moment, set aside all the things of the world and focus on what you have for us. Speak to each one of us. Each one of us will hear something different in this talk. But you are here, Holy Spirit to hit us in our area of need. So touch each one of us, specifically where you want us touched. In Jesus' name, amen. So there are things that are going on around you that we know nothing about. Nothing about. There's a world referred to in Scripture that is quite unseen, but also very present, very active, and very real. There is a real spirit world. It's as real as our physical world. It is real. Daniel chapter 10 gives us a little peek into this world, a little peek behind the scenes, a little peek behind why all the chaos in the world. And I want you to know that angels are real. They are real. They are real spirit beings. And fallen angels are real. They're real spirit beings. Either the angelic realm is under the submission to God, those would be the elect angels, or they're under submission to Satan, those would be called the fallen angels. More on that in just a second. Satan rules over the fallen realm of angels. We see in Ezekiel 28, 12 through 15, the following. It says this, Because Lucifer was the most beautiful wise of all creation, Ezekiel 28.12, you were the seal of perfection, full of, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. He was created the cream of the angelic crop. Verse 14 says this, you were called the anointed cherub, the one who covers. He had a special position in heaven. He covered the throne of God. Some people think he, he was in charge of the worship of heaven. In 28.15, you were perfect in all of your ways. From the day you were created. Let that resonate within you. Satan is a Lucifer, a created being. He's not co-equal with God. He is a created being. Till iniquity was found in you. What was that iniquity? It was pride. In 28.16, he says you were cast, God cast you out of the mountain of God. He lost his position in, he in heaven. 
And everything, just remember this, everything when God creates in the original is created perfect. All of the angels were created perfect. All of humanity, Adam and Eve, as, our, as humans' representation, representatives, were created perfect. All of God's higher creation has the ability to choose contrary to God. The contrary to God. And we know that Adam and Eve chose contrary to God during their time of testing. And certainly Satan chose, Lucifer chose contrary to God in his time of testing. So Lucifer, with a seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, chose contrary to God and was booted out of heaven because he thought he was so great. If you would, just take a little journey with me to Isaiah chapter 14. And if you can get there really quick, I mean, just fast as your little hands can go. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, and it's going to talk about the fall of Lucifer. And I want to suggest to you something. We talk about the fall of man or the fall of Lucifer. What does that fall mean? It means you have fallen from your originally, original created intended order. Mankind fell as being, as being owners of this earth. They were going to rule over this earth to be sinners, and now we are subject to the earth. The curse of the earth is on us. Verse 12, how you have fallen from heaven, his exalted position. O Lucifer, or day star, the shining one, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. Now notice where sin starts. For you have said in your heart, in your inner being, I will ascend into heaven. These are the five eyes, the five arrogant pronouncements of Lucifer, of Satan. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Those are the other angels. I'm better than all of them up here, and I want them all to know that. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. I'm going to rule all these angels. On the farthest side of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. That's what Satan has always wanted. He wanted to rule. He wanted to have worship directed towards him. He wanted all the accolades that only God deserves. And pride was his, was his, was his reason for fall. And his name was changed to Satan, which means adversary of God, or devil, accuser. He's a slanderer. He's accuser of God. He's accuser of slanderer of the brethren. Satan, with charismatic influence, convinced one third of the angelic, this is phenomenal, one-third of the angelic realm in the presence of God, seeing the holiness of God, seeing the love of God, seeing all of who God is, at least what he revealed to those angels in heaven, they chose to go with, with Satan. It's Revelation 12.4. And from this point forward, there's been a cosmic battle, a cosmic war taking place in the unseen world both good angels and bad angels. I don't know how the whole thing works, but there's conflict that is going on. And Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, gives us a little glimpse into this structure or this hierarchy of this world. And if, you're, if you know the Bible at all, you know that Ephesians chapter 6, right in that section is the armor of God section. We don't have time to go through all of that. I'll go through some of that briefly in a little bit. But it, it speaks of this. These, these principalities and powers are organized as a hierarchy of evil principalities, powers, ruler of darkness, spiritual host of wickedness. Remember, hosts are armies. 
There's armies of wickedness that are out there, and they're there to make you stumble, to make you fall, to make you do something contrary to what God would have you to do. That is their whole purpose. Now think about this. Some people scoff at the existence of a devil. Have you run into those people? Some people just scoff at this. A personal devil, demons, I'm educated, I'm intelligent, I don't believe that sort of thing. Some claim that such things are outdated, they're the dark ages, they're superstitions. But it's interesting that these same people will consult mediums, horoscopes, Ouija boards, tarot cards, any number of things to get in contact with this secret spiritual world. Cosmic forces, blind fate, but they deny a real devil who comes to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Jesus said in John 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But notice what Jesus says. But I have come that you may have life, and that you may have it abundantly, to the full, overflowing. What a contrast. What a contrast. Now, I want you to think about this also. When you think about the kingdom of darkness and darkness in this world, what is darkness? Darkness is ignorance of the truth. It's ignorance of the truth. Jesus in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We know in Scripture that the Holy Spirit is truth. We know in John 17, thy word is truth. It's ignorance of those things. Purposeful ignorance. Now, what are we ignorant of as humans? Where does the attack usually come from, from the demonic realm? Well, think about these things. How did I get here? That, these are questions that all humanity has to answer for themselves. Why am I here? Why was I even born? Why do I have life and breath and all things? And then what am I to do while I'm here? And guess what? What is the way out of here? Because this is a mess right here. What is the way out of this thing? Well, I would suggest to you that the biblical Christian worldview explains this better than any other worldview in existence. Any other worldview. Darkness is not knowing these things. Light is knowing that God and his son Jesus Christ gives us a purpose for each one of these things. How did we get here? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Unequivocal. Unequivocal. Why am I here? I'm here to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. What am I to do while I'm here? I serve the King. I serve the King. I'm an ambassador for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And what is the way out of here? Belief in Jesus Christ, and he will take me to be in Father's house forever. Daniel is giving us a peek at the unseen world, the high-ranking demons, the world empires, the kings and governments. Now think about this. Daniel is probably in his late 80s or early 90s at this point. He's been through a lot of stuff. We've gone through this study, and you know that Daniel has been through a mess. Life and death things. He's seen kingdoms come, Babylon, Persia. He was taken captive as a teenager. He's seen conspiracies rise up against him. But something is distressing him. In verses 1 through 3, why is Daniel so distressed? Well, let's read. In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel. So he knows a message. Something has come to him. And I want to just remind you, or to tell you, that chapters 10, 11, and 12 all have to do with this message. All are one continual thought at the end of, the, end of Daniel. His name was called Belshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long. 
So these things that we're going to be talking about, particularly in chapter 11, are long into the future. And he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. And I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth. Nor did I anoint myself at all till the three whole weeks were fulfilled. We call this a delicacy fast. This wasn't a complete fast, but he was fasting from certain things that he really liked. And he focused on God. He set his face towards God to understand God and understand the vision. Historical context, about two years had passed since Daniel's prophecy about the 70 weeks. And in that two-year time frame, God spoke to the heart of Cyrus, the king of Persia. And he told Cyrus, you're going to let my people go. And it was prophesied 150 years before Cyrus came into existence that he would, in fact, do that. We see that in Isaiah 44, 6 and 7, Isaiah 45, 1 and Isaiah 45, 13. We've been through those verses in the past. Now, what did Cyrus say? His decree was that all the Jews could go back to Jerusalem. But you know what happened? 50,000 went back out of hundreds of thousands of people. 50,000 went back. And I believe what is happening here is that Daniel is mourning as he sensed the lack of concern of his people for the things of God. They preferred Babylon to Jerusalem. And when you prefer Babylon to Jerusalem, the things of this world to the things of God, folks, you've been Babylonized. You've been indoctrinated. You have caved to the world system that you're immersed in. Now think about the modern church today. Think about the modern church. We talked a little bit about this in my introduction, in the Apologetics Minute. Think about people that you know and that you love that have been indoctrinated, who have been indoctrinated into a worldview contrary to God, blending a little God and a lot of the world. That is what we see today. A little bit of God. I'll take a little bit of you, God, but I want my world that I live in. I want all the accoutrements of this world. I'll take a little bit of God, my toe in here. That is what we see today. And people think, I'm okay. Indoctrinated. It happened in Daniel's time, and it happens in our time today. The take it or leave it Christianity. If I feel like it, I'll be involved with it. If I don't feel like it, anything else comes up, that's what I'm going to be doing. American Christianity, blending with the world, and think we're okay. And remember, think about Chick-fil-A. Think about those organizations that have compromised. Think about the people you love that have compromised. The Jewish people, the people we know and care about today, many of them have been Babylonized. Many have more focus on their stuff and their things and their God. And the man of God, Daniel, was brokenhearted. And perhaps that's you today. You're brokenhearted because you've seen people that you love be indoctrinated into this world system people that you've poured into, people who have been deceived. Perhaps like Daniel, you are feeling distressed. Your heart is broken. He's mourning in verse 3, wasn't he? He was mourning in verse 3. In verses 4 through 6, for this distress, folks, there is a relief. I want you to notice this person that Daniel sees here. Now, before I read these, I want you to realize that some people believe this is a great angel. And some people believe that this is a pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. I would fall into the category that believes this is Jesus, a pre-incarnate Jesus. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. Now, on the 24th day of the first month, that's the month of Nisan, 
And it's interesting that the 14th day of Nisan, this is a side note, is Passover. So during this time frame, Daniel has probably celebrated Passover because I think the Jews celebrated Passover even in their captivity. They maintain their identity as Jews that way by keeping the feast days. As I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, and I think he was really at the Tigris River. Somehow he got there. I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with gold of Euphaz. His body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. Who is this person? Who is this person? Look at when you're distressed, when you're struggling, when you have loved ones that have gone off the track, you need to do something. All eyes off the distress and all eyes on Jesus, who I think this is a picture of right here. All eyes on Jesus, our Savior. Now with that thought, think about this. Sometimes we need a little peek behind the veil. Sometimes we need a little peek. It needs to be lifted. Sometimes you need to peek into the unseen world. God has done that many, several times in the Bible. The veil has been lifted. At Jesus' birth, what do we have the angels doing? Glory to God in heaven and on earth. Peace, goodwill towards men. You have the angels and the shepherds. You have all these divine things, all these spirit things that are going on. Sometimes you need a little peek. How about at Jesus' baptism when you hear these words, this is my son who am I am, I am well pleased. How about a Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, James, and John get a little peek into, the, into who Jesus really is as he strips away his humanity and his glory kind of shines through. But yet when they hear the word of God that says, again, this is my son, hear him, what do they do? They fall on their face. And Jesus, in his gentleness, he touches them and he picks them up, tells them not to fear. That's what Jesus tells us. When you are, are looking at distressed things, and you get fearful in your being, just remember the shepherd is with you. Remember this one that is glorified at Jesus and all of his power and all of his might. He is the one that is with you. And he's promised you something. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Daniel in his distress sees the pre-incarnate Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. He's fearful. Anytime we come in contact with a spiritual being, we're, it, it's fearful. But remember this. Jesus is our stress reliever. Jesus is our gentle shepherd. Jesus is almighty God, and he is in full control. And if you realize and you conceptualize that Jesus is in full control, you can stop stressing. You can stop stressing. Remember, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you in his hands, you and me, brother, you and me, sister. We are in his hands. So stop stressing. Why do I think this is, first of all, it doesn't mention this, this angel as being Gabriel. But I think it probably is Gabriel. So just, so, just for full disclosure, the Bible doesn't say it's Gabriel, but he sounds like Gabriel, he smells like Gabriel, he acts like Gabriel. Chances are he's Gabriel, but he might not be. So why do I think it's this way? Well, I think the angel in verse 10 is different than the one that is in verses four and five, okay? I think he's different. The word usage is this, I have been sent to you. Messenger angels are the ones that are sent, are sent. Like Gabriel used the same word usage in 923. 
He also says in, in, in verse 10 or 11, he says, you're greatly beloved. Gabriel said this in Daniel 9.23. In verse 13, it gives you another little clue what's going on here. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. I will submit to you that no prince of Persia is going to resist the Lord Jesus Christ for 21 days. Because what does Jesus say to the demons? Come out and they all go into the pigs. What did he say to the demon-possessed man at Gesserit? He cast the demon out when no one else could. Demons responded instantly. There's no demon going to stand up against Jesus. No. No, this is, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, in my opinion. The final thing is in Revelation 1, 13 through 16, let me read you this about who this looks like. This is the glorified Jesus. This is John on the Isle of Patmos getting caught up and seeing the glorified Jesus. Watch what he says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 13. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, now you might not know what lampstands are, but when you do your study in Revelation, you know it's the churches. Jesus is in the midst of the church. He's in the midst of us right here today. He is always in the midst of his people. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, and he looks remarkably like Daniel's, clothed with a garment down to his feet, girded about in the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass as refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He said the voice is like a multitude here. I think this is the Lord Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate. So what does Daniel do when he sees a vision of deity? He falls on his face, verse 7 through 9. He falls on his face. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me, did not see the vision. Now, he's got a herd that's with them. They're at a meeting at the Tigris River. They have this vision that happens, but these guys didn't see it, but they exit stage left. They saw something. But a great terror fell upon them, so they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone, and when I saw the great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of the words, of his words. And while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. Again, these people, they saw something and they fled. They fled. For Daniel, this was definitely a scary moment. Definitely scary. Frail, no strength, became like a dead man. A deep sleep. And remember in our studies in the past, that deep sleep was Wadam in the Hebrew. That's a sleep unto death. That's what, that's what happened to Adam when, he was, when Eve was taken out of his side. A sleep unto death. Daniel, the man of God, in the presence of God, was completely aware of his unholiness. And he is terrified. Folks, all mankind, we are in darkness and need the light of the Lord Jesus. We need to be covered by the Lord Jesus, in order to have any presence before God whatsoever. Listen to this. God opened Daniel's eyes so that he could see the supernatural. And I would suggest to you that God has to open your eyes for you to see the supernatural of who Jesus really is. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your Savior. May the eyes of our understanding be enlightened, photos, enlightened, so I can see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. 
We cannot see, we cannot come into this family of God unless God opens our eyes and allows us to see, to come into his family. And I want you to think about this. There is a struggle all through history, the crescendoing today with a struggle for truth. A struggle between light and dark, good and evil, is the battle over truth. And the good soldier of Jesus Christ, you know what you're what you put on? The belt of truth. And on a Roman soldier, the belt of truth held everything up. If your belt of truth falls, all your other weapons are scattered. You start with the belt of truth wrapped around you. The belt of truth. The word of God is truth. Jesus is truth. Thy word is truth. Can you see today that the battle for truth is going on in our world. Can you see through the deception? Have the eyes of your understanding been enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of your calling? Can you see through it? Remember, Jesus in Matthew 24 says, don't be deceived, don't be deceived. By the way, don't be deceived. And oh, don't be deceived. Because Satan is a master deceiver. A master deceiver. But notice what God does with, with Daniel. In verse 10 and 11, Daniel experiences God's grace. God's grace. Verse 10 and 11, suddenly. That's how God comes into our lives. Suddenly, a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on my palms. And my, he's on his face. He touches him, and now he's getting to his feet. He, the touch of the angel, he's coming up, trembling, residual from seeing Jesus. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. That's the picture. God sent him a rescue. He sent him an angel. Again, doesn't say that it's Gabriel, but it could be. God uses angels as ministering servants. He does. They are real. Now watch what grace does. I think Daniel experiences the grace of God here. Grace of God is this. Grace touches us, arouses us out of our slumber, and opens our eyes so that we can see. That's what grace does. Remember, by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves as a gift of God, not of works lest any should boast. Grace touched him. A hand touched me. A hand aroused me. A hand woke me up. And trembling, Daniel starts to stand. He starts to rise up. But know this also, that grace reassures, I'm okay. Daniel, you're okay. God is with me. He allows him to stand up. And remember he said those words, Oh, Daniel, greatly beloved. Greatly beloved. And remember what we, we learned about this greatly beloved in the last chapter that you are also greatly beloved. The church is greatly beloved in the eyes of God. You are a treasure to God. A treasure to God. We have this in Psalm 46.1. Grace tells me something. God is our refuge and our strength. Most people know this verse. He's our shelter. He's our strength. It's not, I, I'm not the one that's strong. It's not the government that's strong. It's not my 401 that's strong. God is my refuge and my strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, 
we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, we will not fear. Faith, folks, refuses to fear. I will trust and not fear. I will trust and not fear. Though what waters roar and are troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, there's a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. The Lord of hosts, in verse 7, is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And in verse 10, he says this, in Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with me. You know that word. It is Jehovah Sabaoth. The God of armies is with me. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The Lord is our refuge and our strength. Grace tells me, grace affirms this within my being. God's grace is unmerited honor and favor in spite of my unholiness. See, we're not perfect here. We're not walking through this thing perfect, but we've been justified. Christ's righteousness has been imputed to each one of us, so God views me as I'm righteous. Though I'm not righteous yet. One day I will be when I'm fully glorified and I'm in the king's kingdom. But notice how, what grace does. God touches me, tells me that he cares for me. That's grace. God assures me that I'm okay. He is my refuge. He is my strength. He is my way maker through this life. And God allows me to stand. I don't know if you've ever been beaten down or you feel like you can't go another step, and God just touches you and allows you to stand in his strength. When I could not stand on my own, my God touched me, and I stood by his power. I might have stood trembling, but I stood because of him, my king. Now, why was Daniel greatly beloved? We've, we've seen his life story. He's quite a, quite a guy. He lived in a world that was running from God. But you know what? Daniel knew his God. We are living today in a world that is running from God, and it is important that each one of us knows our God deeply, intimately. This is not a time for cursory Christianity. This is not toe-in Christianity. Remember, this is all end time. Now, why did this? Why, did he, why was Daniel so greatly beloved? Number one, he did not compromise. Now, that speaks to us today. We see it happening all around us, don't we? In, all in business, government, all around, in churches all around us. He did not compromise in Daniel 1.8. He did not partake of the king's delicacies. He did not partake of what the world had to offer. He didn't. Secondly, there was no ground of accusation against him, no corruption. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 4, the satraps were jealous. They tried to set a trap for him. Made Cyrus pledged that if anybody praised any other god but him, that they're going to be in the lion's den. And Daniel, that didn't move him. What did he do? He went and opened up the windows and he prayed. So he stood firm regardless of the cost. Think about that today. We are to stand firm regardless of the cost. It may cost us to stand for the truth, folks. It may cost us. But we are called to stand for the truth. We can never compromise. We represent someone greater than us. I want to represent my king to the world around me. 
not be influenced by the world around me and ask my king to change the way that he deals with me. No. No, I represent the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And finally, allow God's word to be a light to him in the midst of many dark places. Folks, there are times when you have to get alone with God and you have to spend time in his word and you have to plead with him. Ask him to strengthen you to allow you to make it through this next trial that's coming. There's all kinds of them that are coming our way. Remember, allow the light of God's word to direct your steps. In Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet. It is a light unto my path. We cannot be victorious unless we are living, dwelling in Jesus and dwelling in his word, abiding in his word. Conclusion, the unseen realm, part one. Folks, there is an unseen realm around us that we know little about. There appears to be angel battles going on in the heavenlies. I don't understand it. You don't understand it. But something's going on there that causes a lot of chaos down here. Next week we'll be introduced to the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. Demonic entities that have charge over different geographical areas. It seems like this is a reality. And their goal is this. The stated goal is this, to disrupt your life, to discourage you, to do mind games with you, and to have you act contrary to God. That is the whole goal. And when you talk about demons, and you talk about devils, and you talk about a spirit world, it can be scary. It can be scary. But listen to this. Daniel wasn't going to be scared because he saw the vision of Jesus and there is no one, no one, no one as powerful as him. He is God. Prior to Daniel being introduced to this world, he saw the one who was unquestionably the sovereign ruler over all, the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, I want to remind you, when we see things happening in this world that we don't understand, our God reigns. Our God reigns supreme. Satan and his demonic cords can operate only under the proscribed boundaries given to them by God. They cannot go beyond those, or they get to go into the pit, be imprisoned. The battle centers around this, folks. Look, 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 Satan can't come up to you and push you and shove you and hurt you. I don't think Satan give, give you a disease. I don't think that Satan has that type of power, but his focus is on the mind, on the brain, on the will. Listen to this. The battle centers around the control of our souls, our minds, our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions. We have these five senses. that Everything comes in through these senses. That's where the battle is. It's, it's a sense that we sense these five senses and it all congregates in the brain. And there you assimilate information and there your thoughts come out. It's a battle for the control of the brain, the mind. This is where the demonic forces are most active. Their goal for you, again, is to act contrary to God, contrary to how God made you. He saved you specifically. Now, we have a protection, a protection that has been laid out in Scripture. And I want you to think about something. So many people focus on the Antichrist. So many people focus on, well, they got the demon of divorce. I got the demon of food. I got the demon of this. I got the demon of that. No. That is not where our focus to be. Our focus is not to be on ourself, not to be focused on the demonic realm, but to focus on Jesus 
who was what? The author and finisher of our faith. That's who we focus on. James tells us this, James 4.7, Submit yourself to God. Hupotasa, put yourself under God's cover. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Come near to God and he will come near to you. You want victory? Start with submitting yourself to God. Secondly, 2 Corinthians 10.5, we take, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Remember, it's a mind war. And hear this. He who controls the mind controls the person. There are many inputs that we have today. I've said this many times. This is the most disadvantaged culture in the history of the world. Why do I say that? Because we have negative inputs coming into us 24-7 that heretofore did not exist. We had books that people could read. People could go to meetings, but now we have media bombardment on a continual scale that is affecting every person. It affects us. It is a mind battle. Whoever controls the mind controls the person. And Ephesians 6 verse 11 says this, Know your enemy. Know his methodia, his schemes, the wiles of the devil, how he acts, his tactics. and know that his master plan is to deceive, to discourage, and to drop little niblets of bait for you to latch onto. You see that in the book of James. Folks, you're trained soldiers. If you're, if you're in the army of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a trained soldier. And trained soldiers are dangerous to the enemy. You're a warrior prepared for battle. If you are in battle array. If you have your armor on and you're ready to go. If your mind is protection. If you are submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a formidable weapon for Jesus. The question is, are you armored up and ready? Or is your armor scattered all about? Oh, my helmet's in the basement. Oh, my shield of faith is in the attic. Oh, my belt of truth, it's in the yard. Where are all these things? I got the battle coming. No. Get your armor on, keep your armor on, and be ready for the battle. Is your life like an armed battleship, or are you on a cruise ship, a luxury liner? Are you at general quarters on the battleship, man your battle stations, or are you on the luxury liner of life, apathetic, who cares, leave me alone. I can only take so much of this Jesus stuff, oh, leave me alone. I can take a little bit, oh, I don't want to actually live this thing out oblivious to what's going on around you. Now, you know what happens on cruise ships. Is this your life? Cruise city. Every indulgence possible. I went on a cruise, and you talk about gluttony. That is what a cruise is all about. Everything that you can get involved in in life, you can get involved in right here. Or are you at general quarters at your battle station? How does the enemy view you? Does he look at you like little powder puff, little Pillsbury Doughboy, right here, just totally useless? Or does he look at you as a weapon, something to stay away from, not to get involved with? That remains to be seen, doesn't it? I mean, all of us right now, I'm a battleship. That's what I am, a battleship. 
Oh yeah, well that remains to be seen. Wait till the battle comes. Luxury liner or battleship. The unseen world is real, and there's no fear for those who are close to the shepherd. And remember this, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. You know what that is? If I am still, I'm trusting him. If I'm all in a frantic, I'm not trusting him. I'm not trusting him. Be still and know that I am God. Next week, the unseen realm, part two. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. And as always, you speak to us in different areas, different ways. So Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you would speak to each one of our hearts in our area of need. Perhaps we are the luxury liner in life, kind of cruising along. On the luxury liner, they have the church service. Oh, you go to the church service, and then you indulge in everything else the rest of your week. Or am I a battleship? Am I really toughened up in the battle for the Lord Jesus Christ? And how does the enemy look at me? Am I a cream puff or am I a powerhouse? Which one? Lord, help us to live this thing all out for you. Not half in and half out. Holy Spirit, do your work within each one of us. Speak to us now the things that we need to change in our lives. And Lord, if someone does not know you as their Savior today, I pray today will be the day when they say, I've had enough. I want to say yes to the Lord Jesus. I want to come into his family and to be part of his family. You simply believe that the Lord Jesus died on the cross for your sins and receive him as your Savior, you'll be saved. Lord, I pray for a miracle of new birth today, and I pray for a miracle of changed lives. In Jesus' name, amen.